Welcome to the Smoke Pit. Today's fantastic guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Happy to be here. I'm uh, Jamie Goldstein. I'm a co-writer, co-director, and actor in A Grunt's Life 2 on veteran television. Now, uh, Jamie, I can tell that you've uh, you've been in the biz for a while, because even though we're not doing video, when I said, would you like to introduce yourself, you like flicked your perfectly coiffed hair and like made the face, you know, <laughs> like Superman with the breeze, you know, hitting his just cleft chin, and you're like... Yeah, I'll introduce myself. Sure. I mean, I, I was actually going for Nick Cage stepping off the uh, uh, the party bus yeah, and Con yeah, Air, yeah, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's that's more or less what I was going for. I was thinking Nick Cage at the end of The Rock. Oh, you know, sea breeze hitting his face. Oh yeah, with the the, the green smoke popping. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you got yeah. wifey back home, bearing his children. She was the prom queen after all. Your best losers whine about their best. <laughs> Windows go home and fuck the prom queen. Uh, so tell us a little bit uh, about yourself. Uh, I purposely like to ask you questions when you're drinking coffee. Sure, fair enough. Yeah, yeah it keeps me on my toes. It's yeah, just good. just like a, just like a waiter, you know, like <laughs> they hide behind the fern, right? So you put that one piece of tiramisu in your mouth. Sure, or you're, you're at, the, at, the, at the apex of your favorite yeah. story. <laughs> hey, how you guys doing? Or like you're having like that tender moment with your lady. You know what I mean? Right. Or even worse, like there's a little bit of static, you know. Oh. And she comes walking up, like, "Hey, you guys want to try the tiramisu?" Oh my god! And she's just like staring down at her plate, like, "Get the fuck away from me!" And you have to like maintain that outer facade of calm, you know. Oh no, I go full send. I'll no? just uh, no, I just fucking I'll, I'll I'll look across the table at whoever I'm with, like, I don't know, do you want the fucking tiramisu? <laughs> <laughs> How's that work out for you? Oh Jesus! Well, I've never gotten the tiramisu. So not that well then. Guess not. <laughs> so tell us about yourself. Yeah, well, contrary to um, your belief, I, I have not been in the business for this long. Um, I actually came on board. Uh, I started working in May um, on on all matters production. Um, you know, before that, I was uh, I did a brief stint uh, contracting in Afghanistan. Uh, before that, I was in contract security, and uh, yeah, before that, I was. Wearing camis, yeah. Which branch? Army, army, oh, army infantry for seven years. Army infantry. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you, you're safe. You can you can drink for about the next thirty seconds. I'm just going to spend the next thirty seconds just bashing bashing the army infantry. Gotcha. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Who in their right mind joins the infantry and decides mm, they want to be in good the army? Coffee. <laughs> mm. Oh, well, I got twenty seconds left. <laughs> so when did you join? Uh, 2004 was when I went in. Me too. Really? Yeah. Okay. Marines, yeah? Yeah. You were, yeah. yeah. yeah you were a jarhead. Uh, where was uh, your uh, MEPS station? MEPS was Fort Hamilton, Brooklyn. Fort Hamilton, Brooklyn. Yeah. Mine was a um, Hyatt in Tampa, Florida. A Hyatt. Yeah. Wow. You okay. know, that is a Marine's favorite hotel. Hyatt! Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Set them up. <laughs> Get myself a little off the backboard alley oop. Okay. No, it was a hotel though. Um, I don't remember the brand. I mean, it sometimes it's hard to remember if I'm wearing underwear. How did you map out of a hotel? I just it's just the way it is, you know. Like um, they didn't have like a, an actual installation for you to go in and sign your paperwork and. Well, see, there was a navy base in Orlando, uh, which makes a whole lot of sense, right? Okay. Uh, you know, right smack dab in the middle of the state. Yeah. Yeah. Surrounded by amusement parks, of course. Yeah, um, apparently that's where they had some basic training. Okay. Uh, which, I mean, I, I don't know why you wouldn't have it, like, maybe at 
a base that has like a ship that you can go onto. Mm. Orlando's pretty much landlocked, with, except for like Lake Eola, which <sighs> the the only nautical craft that you're going to get there are the little uh, boats that you paddle with your feet that are shaped like swans. Oh, those are great. Yeah, like massive so- swans. Like, yeah, I treat those like bumper boats. I get kicked off a lot. Yeah, it, it's it's always fun when you're walking around downtown Orlando and you're a little blitzed out of your mind, and then you look over and you just see this fleet of like massive, like humanoid-sized swans <laughs> going across, and you're just like, "That can't be real!" Oh my god, it is. <laughs> but I digress. Um, yeah, so they ended up scuttling that base uh, using a little navy, navy term, you know, for for the occasion. Okay. And then they ended up selling it for like pennies on the dollar to real estate uh, development companies who ended up putting up like apartments and condos. And maybe a Hyatt! Hyatt! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they uh, they sent us down to Tampa, uh, which actually spe- um, there's a lot of um, soft units down there. Like uh, you'll you'll see a lot of like special operations and stuff. Like they have their you know their headquarter one of their headquarters in uh, in Tampa. Okay, so. Um, it's a it's kind of an interesting place to be because like if you're a young lady, you know, on the one hand, like you're surrounded by a lot of like young buff sure, military target rich like, environment. Yeah, SF guys, you know. Yeah. On the other hand, you're surrounded by a lot of young buff, you know, yeah. secret squirrel guys, and you know most of those guys aren't exactly uh, looking to settle down if you catch my drift. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're not looking for Ms. Right. They're looking for Ms. Right now. Yeah, and I I can only imagine how how crappy that must be for like the average Joe Blow trying to hop on Tinder because you're looking at your competition. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's just like all just these a dudes, bunch of fucking operators. Yeah, just like sleeved out, like uh, dope pictures from their travels. You know, like yeah. great shape. You know, and you're just like Carl, the assistant manager at Best Buy. <laughs> <laughs> you're in your blue shirt and a Tinder profile. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, all you really have to do is your bio just be like, I won't cheat on you. But there you go. I'm safe. <laughs> <laughs> I've been tested this year. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> so uh, the reason I asked you that was is because I, I kind of like to um, find like a common point of connection. And so from what I'm hearing that there was, um, I'm assuming a 70-year-old man in Brooklyn. Was that what it was, Brooklyn? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yep. A seventy-year-old man in Brooklyn who looked at your butthole. Sure. And there was a seventy-year-old man in Tampa who looked at mine. Yeah, at the we're in the same year. Yeah, in the same year. Unreal. See, if you kind of think about it, like depending on like the curvature of like the Earth, because mm-hmm. you were like way north and I was way south, and if we were both like butt naked sitting on the table at the same time, we kind of made a sandwich of the U.S. with our buttholes. Sure. I mean, we were in the same time zone. Yeah. On the same coast, so. It is feasible. It is. We were both right on the water. I mean, who knows, man? I might have sneezed that day, and some of my sneezelet drops might have. Yeah, just just caught the Gulf Stream. You caught know? the Gulf Stream down to you, and uh, or even better, you remember how many hurricanes there were in two thousand four? Yeah. What if some of my butthole particles caught those hurricanes and floated up to you? Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> you've um, you've been working on a. Um, massive project with uh, with Vet TV. Uh, we've we've had Donnie on the show before, and you know we've had uh, Jack Mandeville and Rich High and a bunch of guys who have worked with Vet TV before. Um, and I actually uh, was part of the writing staff in the beginning uh, before kind of like the pandemic hit and, and shut everything down. Yeah, yeah. So um, kind of tell me how you got involved in that. Sure. So um, 
I had been sort of playing with the idea of, of writing a screenplay for a while, uh, for years, in fact, and really didn't know where to start or, or you know, where to even begin to learn how to start. I was working for a security company out of New York City, and we got this new director guy in who um, was, you know, making his rounds from from region to region, introducing himself. And he's telling us his backstory. Oh, yeah, I worked for this company. Then I went to this company. I started my own company. I sold it for this much. Then I worked for, you know, over here. And when I left there, I had a three-year non-compete. So I you know, had some time to kill. I ended up writing this movie. You might have heard of it. It's called Pride and Glory. And then I went. Really? And did the, yeah, the dude just yada yada over the fact that he wrote one of my favorite cop movies of all time. Wow. So, you know, I'm sitting here trying to be cool and, like, not just just go full fanboy. Um, I mean, I, I love that film. Um, and it wasn't until, I think, a number of months later that I, I ran into this guy at corporate um, and, you know, let it slip how, how much I admired his work. Uh, and, you know, we started chatting about that. I mentioned that that I was, you know, wanting to write a script of my own but had no idea where to start. And he was kind enough to, to offer his help if, uh, if I ever wanted it. And um, I think it was a couple of years later that I had some time to kill um, between resigning from, from my last security job uh, and my first deployment to Afghanistan uh, that I took him up on it. I called him up and was like, hey, man, I, you know, I got some time to kill. I, I think I'm ready to start. And he was kind enough to spend like three hours on the phone with me, uh, you know, giving me all these all these, these ideas and, and sources and resources. So it kind of put me in the right direction. Um, I started watching a number of my favorite movies, reading along the, the screenplays to sort of see how things uh, translate from, from yeah. film to, or from the page to, to, to film and, you know, what the format has to look like. Yeah, and, and real quick, if, if you haven't checked out Pride and Glory, it came out in 2008. It was starring Edward Norton, Colin Farrell, uh, John Voight, uh, Lake Bell, uh, Manny Perez, just like uh, a bunch of people that I'm, I'm sure you, if you don't recognize their names, you would definitely recognize them by sight. And like you said, it was a very intense kind of like um, – uh, a movie that kind of showed like some of the the grittier aspects of um, of that kind of life. Yeah, yeah, it really you know highlighted the uh, well, like you said, it was a lot of good versus evil. It was a lot of a lot of necessary evils that you sort of had to either come yeah. to terms with or go to war with. Um, was was one of the interesting motifs that that I took away from that. And so that I mean that's awesome. It it's so crazy when like that actually happens where somebody that you've kind of like idolized for a little bit. We'll sit down and have a conversation with you. Like we had uh, Stephen Pressfield on last season, and he wrote one of my favorite books, um, uh, Gates of Fire, nice. which was kind of like a precursor to the Frank Miller like 300 movie. Sure, like this was actual like a real historical look because it wasn't just like 300 Spartans at the gates of Thermopylae. It was uh, like 5,000 you know like Greeks yeah. with with you know their accompaniment and stuff. And the naval aspect of, of the battle was um, equally as important as the land aspect of the battle. But I digress. It was a fantastic book. I've also read that, The Last of the Amazons. Uh, he just had a new book come out recently that uh, we talked about on that show. But, uh, yeah, he put a little bit of um, uh, a bug in my ear that uh, we're working on our own book here at Pop Smoke Media. Ooh. Um, we, we still kind of have a working title because the first one that I came up with, like, a few years ago when I first started thinking about the concept – now I'm like, ah, that, that, that might get canceled right away. And okay. I actually want people to read the book. So we're, <laughs> we're still working on it. But yeah, so he he sat down. He took about three hours of his time. That, that's 
That's pretty generous. It was. It was incredibly generous, and it, it did get me started, and I, I learned a lot during the process, and, and thank God I did because um, when I got back from Afghanistan in February of this year, um, shortly after I was in Hawaii for the, uh, the IW Silky Psych, I stayed with uh, with Donnie and Matthias of uh, Avet TV, and we, we spent a lot of talk a lot of time. We spent a lot of time talking about um, you know AGL one, uh, the project that I was working on, my writing process. We spent a lot of time talking about writing in general. Uh, about a week after I got back from Hawaii, I get a call from Donnie. Donnie tells me he is getting ready to start the process for AGL two in the next couple of weeks. And wants me on board in a full-time capacity. Um, so I was happy to put contracting on hold. Happy to sit on the bench for as long as I needed to. I let yeah. my, my contacts over at uh, over at my company knew that I wouldn't be deploying anytime soon. And that was when I got started in the writing room. And so, did you have any like formal school training, or was this Zero. just kind of like what you what you picked up from your conversations and your own research? It's it, it, only what I picked up from my own research and conversations. That that was all I had. Um, so, you know, the offer was, "Hey, take a look at what we write. You know, be part of the conversation, help shape the story. If you want to try to write a scene, like, yeah, we can give it a shot. We could see what that looks like." Um, and I, I. I think it went really well because yeah. uh, I, I was I was um, you know onboarded as a as a writer for for the project. And so you also mentioned that you were uh, uh, co-directing. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish Donnie were here to tell the story because he he tells it better than I do. <laughs> but uh, you know, more or less, it involves me sort of you know donning a headset on set in the first week and you know popping out from studio, uh, popping out from from Video Village and giving notes and whatnot without. Uh, uh, any real formal direction, and I didn't know if I was going to get like in trouble for it. Like, hey, dude, sit, sit the fuck down. Like, calm down. Yeah. Or, or if it was going to be like a, hey, good job. Yeah, it's but, either like the you know the the good cookie or the hey there hero. Yeah, you know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know how it was going to go, but after after a couple of weeks of doing that, uh, yeah, Donnie started introducing me as you know the co-director and finally made it official. I had my name on the slate, and uh, oh wow, yeah, that was really nice to see. That's got to be a cool moment. Oh my God, that was that was nice. Yeah, that was that was heartfelt to, yeah. to see my name appear on the slate one day. Um, yeah, that 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 hit me right in the feels. And for those of you who cannot see right now, he looks off in the distance with fond recollection. <laughs> A slight blush kisses his cheeks, and you can tell the memory is genuine. Oh, thank you for validating that. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was my, uh, you know, like the narrator voice, like yeah. in the story. Yeah. You may be wondering how I got here. <laughs> <laughs> As Jamie stared off into the distance. Um, our hero is up in a tree, and we're certainly throwing rocks at him. <laughs> That's a little little inside joke between AJ and I, because uh, we, we watched a video where they referenced that about how um, the end of Empire Strikes Back was one of the earliest examples of where they kind of like left the movie without like a good resolution. You know what I mean? Okay. Like Han Solo was captured. Uh, Luke just had his arm cut off, you know, they're on the run from the Empire, but like there was a chance that that things could go well. So like the phrase is they put the heroes up in the tree and threw rocks at them, you know. Oh, wow. And like that, that's kind of where they ended it, because at the end of A New Hope, they blew up the Death Star, you know, like, sure. you know, they uh, everybody except Chewie was getting medals, you know. And so like that was a real like, ha we won. <laughs> but the end of Empire was just kind of like. That was a downer ending. Yeah. Yeah. 
Total like, downer ending. It really kind of made you, you know, anticipate the next one. <laughs> anticipate or fear for. What uh, what year did Empire come out? Um, I think it was uh, 1969. Oh, that can't be. Can't no, I, I know. I just wanted to say 69. <laughs> Uh, 1980. Okay, so it yeah. came out in 1980, and that's fascinating because what what I love most about 80s movies is the timing of the resolution and the end credits. Yeah, like you think about the best 80s movies, like the the, the movie just resolves, cut to credits. Credits. That's it. There's no yeah. tie up. There's no like pan across. The, no, fuck you, Daniel Sun. He wins the tournament, hoist the hoist the yep. trophy. It's over. You know, Doc Brown. Bam. Back in the DeLorean, they land, movie's over. Yep, Rocky. Right? He's embracing Adrian. Fist in, fist the, in air, the air. Movie's credits. over. Exactly. That's what I love about 80s movies. They just end the second it <laughs> resolves. And, uh, yeah, so, like, that. that's kind of why Empire was such, you know, uh, a monumental thing for the time. Because, like, a good resolution, like, at the end of A New Hope, was not to be found. <laughs> you know? Um yeah, it, it wasn't. It wasn't quite like uh, like those other movies that you mentioned, where it's just like ha ha, and then roll credits. <laughs> you know, no room for speculation. None. I I wish we could get Kevin Smith to dial in on this one. I'm yeah. sure he has tons to say. I mean, he's a big fan of the show. I'm I'm sure he's listening right now. I hope so. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, are we going to get that kind of uh, resolution credits at the end of uh, A Grunt's Life too? So I am incredibly happy with and proud of uh how agl2 resolves yeah. obviously i'm i'm you know not gonna say too much about that but um i i think it resolves in spectacular fashion okay uh because i i remember there were there were several uh things that i asked to be included in the movie um one of which was a 27 minute long dance battle um between the, the taliban and the marines which okay I'm, i haven't received a royalty check for that so i don't think it made it um, not exactly. Not exactly. Not exactly. Okay. I mean, there is. You're like ah, 26 minutes. <laughs> yeah, just shy of uh. No, there there is a, a spectacular river dance scene where the entire platoon is river dancing while uh Lieutenant Murphy is murdering. Um, and then there's a brawl. Oh wow! Between the 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 Marine platoon and the uh, A and P. Yeah, because I mean, I like. I remember how easy it was to hand a lot of our our foes their asses in firefights um, on deployment, and at the same time, you kind of wish that like maybe that we could have found other ways to resolve our issues. And I really feel like seeing how poorly a lot of the Afghan soldiers danced. Sure, I feel like we we could have taken the Taliban in a dance off. Like like if it was like step up seven. The battle for Marja, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so we had some pretty fun dance parties with the uh, with the Iraqi soldiers. Yeah, that we worked with. They had they had some crazy moves that made no sense to us, but but they all seemed to be quite familiar with one another's repertoire. Oh, so I actually I actually figured that out, and I'm I'm being 100 percent serious. If you'd like to know, I d- I would love to. Everything that they do is based off of their interpretation of Michael Jackson. Um. If you look at all their dance moves, yes, it's them trying to impersonate Michael Jackson. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, in fact, does that does that click a little bit? Does that unlock some hidden memory? Uh, no, not exactly. <laughs> um, but it does lead into a great um piece about about AGL two. Yeah. Um, so every one of the A and P in the the 
A&P squad that, that we wrote has a personality or a, 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 a quirk tick or a quirk or, a, yeah. you know, idiosyncrasy. One of them is simply named MJ Fan. He, uh, he's got, this, <laughs> he's got like one of three Michael Jackson shirts that he wears over yeah. his A&P blouse. He's got these, these, you know, ghetto black loafers that he spray painted a white stripe across to emulate Michael. Um, and he's always doing some kind of ridiculous dance move or like, Ee-hee. I'd just like to throw it out there. I don't lie on this show. Oh, like I, I rarely miss and <laughs> which is kind of difficult because I feel like in my life, I, I'm hard to prove wrong. Because I don't speak unless I've has like an associate degree level of information on a subject. Right. I fucking hate being proven wrong. Sure. I'd rather just be quiet than wrong. Right. Yeah. And however, but if you're going to get up me on here to rattle for 30, 45 minutes, you know, like there's a lot more room for error. <laughs> so I think that's the real beauty of this show is. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> no, that, that is some good vindication. <laughs> Because if you think about it, like particularly like with like the arms out and oh, like yeah. the chest shimmy, and then like it's kind of hard to do like the leg kick and like a man jam, but by God, they still try. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I've seen it. They're, yeah, they can. Yeah, they can slide. <laughs> they can slide. Just moonwalking right over the IED. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> There's now. So, uh, did you go to Iraq and Afghanistan, or Iraq, or one of the other, or none? Yeah. So I, I deployed to Iraq. Yeah. Um, twice, both times with the hundred first. Um, my only time spent in Afghanistan was as a civilian contractor. Yeah. Um, so I really didn't have the same deployment experience that, uh, you know, soldiers and Marines had over there. It's still more than most people have done, (laughs) but it's kind of, kind of interesting because like the Iraq army and the Afghan army, like they, they, they really had their differences and I'm not sure, too sure how many people got to work with, with both. But one thing that I, I did notice about the, um, the, the, the Iraq army is that they tried to incorporate a lot more um, like slang and stuff that were English words mm-hmm. into like their normal conversation. So you'd have like when a guy was talking about uh, or a guy in the Iraq army was talking about anything that like was appealing to him. He'd be like, ah, Mista, freaky, freaky. Oh, yeah. Like saying that he wanted to like essentially be intimate with whatever the thing was that he was excited about. <laughs> And um, and so it's just kind of kind of interesting because like sometimes like the the little catchphrases and like slangs and jargon will just like pop up in my head like randomly you know oh like, yeah like if I'm in traffic and like somebody cuts me off I'm like Mista why <laughs> <laughs> why Mister Mister why Mister Mister that's it's you know that won't pop into my head randomly on my own but it's like when I when I start talking to my uh, you know dudes I deployed with. That's when all that stuff starts starts churning up, or we start using like you know I might one of us might grab the other's ass and we're like la means la, or you know something like that like no freaky freaky mister <laughs> mister 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 ice cream <laughs> <laughs> fine I give you a uh, football <laughs> um, yeah so you um you had a wealth of knowledge in both the military and the private uh, sector. Uh, when it came to you know, um, you know, being somebody who carried a, a weapon and body armor for a living, and so how do you feel that that uh, impacted your writing and your directing for this show? Uh, tremendously. Um, uh, the the writing all came from experience. You know, everything that I wrote 
in AGL2 came somehow from real life, whether it's something that I experienced or whether it's something I saw or even if it's a story that, that somebody else told me from, from their time overseas. Um, having that experience helped out tremendously in the writing process. Um, it helped as much with directing. Um, you know, we would we would do scenes where we were breaching a house. Uh, we would do scenes where we were breaching a house or a building, um, and it was it was amazing getting to you know really get on top of the squad and fix their stack and put their weapons where they need to be and and do the kind of training with the uh, the non-veteran actors that that they needed, acclimating them to the, the the language that we use and and the inflection and the tone how how you know you and I know that. Tone and inflection dictates urgency. Um, to a civilian, that might not be as intuitive, or, or you know, they might not be able to execute that the same way that that we would. Um, so, having that experience made a world of difference in in directing those scenes as well. And so, when you are approaching this from a creative perspective, right? Because at the end of the day, like if you're making something like this, it is a form of art. You know, you're creating this art for other people to consume and uh, observe and enjoy. So tell me about the struggles when you're trying to represent authenticity versus the creative limitations that uh, exist when you're trying to do this out of like, you, you know, um, a movie budget versus because everything you have on deployment is issued to you, you know, right. Everything that you have on um, in your head was taught to you by other people in the military. So it's a very kind of like closed ecosystem yeah and everything exists within this ecosystem and so you know you have your um your things that exist within your units but like tell me tell me about the struggle between like trying to represent it authentically versus coming at it from a creative perspective sure no that's that's a great question um we really tried to keep authenticity as as high as possible um while also remembering that this movie is a comedy. It's a comedy that has a lot to say. Um, the guideline that I like to use is uh, was a reference to to the term bliss point, which in the food in the food industry, uh, the bliss point refers to the maximum amount of sugar that you could put into a product before that product starts to taste more like sugar than what it's intended to be. So mm. this applies to bread, cereal, tomato sauce, you name it. There's sugar in everything, and the bliss, the bliss point is the most sugar possible. So I would try to find the bliss point in every scene where we're putting as much comedy into a scene as possible without compromising what the scene is supposed to convey. Okay. And... You know, there were a number of serious, highly dramatic scenes in uh, in AGL two that required a lot uh, for for a number of actors. You know, there were some some actors who were who were Vet TV staff, and there were some that um, you know had never worked with Vet TV be- before that were really challenged uh, through a number of scenes, um, and especially you know when we were trying to to preserve authenticity. Um, you know that that had the potential to make people very uncomfortable. Um, you know, especially this 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 production involved. Like we we touch on the racism that existed between uh, Marines and uh, a lot of the Afghan 
local nationals. Uh, we touch on um, sexism and and you know, sexual violence that that can exist uh, on the fob, uh, but not only between you know platoon mates, but you know, and we deal with that. We wrote that as authentically as possible, while also peppering in as much comedy as possible while, yeah. while turning it into something that could be laughed at and also sort of resolving as many of those issues as possible with I don't want to say an I I don't want to say ideologically um, but we did our best to kind of guide the narrative to how things should be versus accepting how things were okay so um Kind of what I'm picking up on is how, like, the West Wing was, like, American fan fiction of what politics should be versus, you know, sometimes the way that things are. So are are we to expect that some of the issues that we're going to have presented to us are resolved in the ways that they should be resolved versus the ways that they sometimes were, which caused them to be uh, such a um, point of contention or stress for service members who are returning to kind of kind of give them that, like, hey— this is how your story should have went. So there's there's going to be a mix between the two. Yeah. Um, and even even if I sit here and, and say, oh, we yeah, we resolved everything as it should have been, uh, there's going to be service members who watch this and go, like, what are you talking about? No, that's completely realistic. Or I could sit here and say, no, we resolved everything, uh, you know, true to life. And, and there's going to be service members that watch this and go, wait, that's not how it could. It's because everyone's experience was so different yeah you know, there were so so many things that we have in common like, you know every every deployment is relatively similar but every deployment's going to be a little bit different yeah so. it's um it's uh it's unfortunate to think that you know sometimes the appropriate resolution to a situation is tragedy you know you you have a situation where you're trying to show the heroism of how somebody acted on a, any given day but as we are looking back at it, we realize that the catalyst was an IED or a sniper shot. Yeah. And that story of heroism doesn't exist unless there was bloodshed, unless sure. there was some sort of uh, adversity that had to be overcome. Sure. So when you're dealing with stories of, you know, human uh, triumph over, you know, fear and danger and peril and uncertainty, a lot of times a lot they have to include some sort of suffering. In, in order to properly demonstrate it. So in a perfect scenario, you go out on a mission and all your boys come back. Uh, however, that's not always the case. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, I mean, that and the, the subject matter itself, the fact that this the fact that this piece, that AGL2 is focusing on the war in Afghanistan, I mean, yeah. the... the Hindsight, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the interesting part is that you know one of the one of the huge driving forces between uh, one of the huge driving forces behind AGL 2s writing process was a uh, was a documentary called "This Is What Winning Looks Like." Um, it came out in 2013. It was directed by uh, by by Ben Anderson, um, and it was a phenomenal, no hold barred look at the war in Afghanistan for what it really was and it was depicted at the time as something that was just completely untenable um, and when we were writing this actually we were we were getting ready to go into production 
uh, when Kabul fell and when we were pulling out. So even that late in the writing process, it really started to, I mean, it really drove us to sort of change directions in a lot of scenes and and make changes to make AGL2 a lot more timely. Um, and we really do touch on the fact that this, this was an unwinnable war. Um, you know, the documentary does an amazing job at, at pointing out that you know, we were trying to introduce democracy to a country with uh, a tribal country with no national identity. How is how is that going to work in any capacity? Yeah. So, it, it, I mean, the, the subject matter itself kind of lends itself to, as you said, tragedy. So we have um, a unique perspective on the traumas that we've been through as the person who saw it through their own eyes, and everyone will view something and consume it through their own lens. And uh, one of the unfortunate aspects of being a, a creator in this space is sometimes you put something out and somebody is not in the right headspace to see it or they don't look at it the way that you had intended it to be observed. And you know, the last thing that we want to do is uh, you know, aggravate anyone's stress injuries, make life worse. Like if we're, you know, we're trying to share experiences and, and commiserate our trauma and bring comedy from these situations, you know, the last thing we want to do is drive anyone further away sure. from the community. So what frame of mind or what perspective do you hope that the audience takes into the movie in order to consume it the way that it was intended to be received? Uh, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, first and foremost, remember that, that this is a parody that, Mm. This is a satire. This is a comedy. Um, I mean, yes, we do address the agency that the U.S. government played in uh, the loss of Afghanistan, and we do make subtle comparisons to uh, to Vietnam. Um, in particular, with uh, with one character, uh, a chaplain. That was uh, the brainchild of uh, the idea for this character came from uh, our good friend Jeremy Walton, uh, one of the coordinators with uh, with the Rover and Warriors, who I've known for a number of years now. And uh, he, the, the chaplain, was this old Vietnam vet who just you know stacking bodies in Vietnam, and eventually you know, met God and 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 became this this uh, this holy warrior. Um, but the comparisons are there. You know that the, the the character is is a vehicle for comedy, but he's also a vehicle for the parody. When we think about what the age of like a Vietnam veteran would be, because I remember the first time that I I heard um, uh, a young lady say that her grandfather was in Vietnam, that blew my mind, because to me a grandparent was World War Two. Yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like we had people whose grandparents were in the Gulf. <laughs> think about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that I remember that struck me in roughly, I think it was 2010, 2011. I was stationed down at Fort Benning, and Fort Benning did this uh, this amazing welcome home ceremony for, for Vietnam veterans uh, on the new parade field that they that they had just built behind the, uh, the Army Infantry Museum. And, I mean, it was, you know, they never had a welcome home. You know, they, were, they came home and were spit on. They, they weren't well-received. So they gave these guys an opportunity, anyone who ever served in Vietnam, to come out, wear what you want, get in formation, march out onto the parade field, family, spectators cheering for you, flags flying, music playing, you know, band marching around. 
And it was spectacular. It was one of yeah. the most beautiful things I had ever seen. Fuck, man. I feel like I'm there. I'm about right? to start crying. Like, but, I didn't even fucking serve. In, oh, my God. <laughs> in Quezon, you know? like No, you went, everyone started crying. So so they get out onto the field, and the applause is just, everyone's just, yeah, you know, cheering, screaming, clapping. Yeah. It finally dies down, dulls to, you know, a, a hush. And as soon as it gets silent, this tiny little, tiny little kid's voice from the crowd, I love you, Grandpa! And the whole fucking crowd just, just explodes yeah. again. I mean, I don't think there was a dry eye in the stand at that Holy point. Man. But what really struck me, like you said, were the age of these guys, man. They were yeah. like my grandparents' age. and uh, Or they, they were the age of grandparents at that point. Um, and yeah, it, it, it was kind of kind of striking to see how much time had passed. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy because like I have friends that I, I, um, I came into the Marine Corps with as boots in 2004. And some of them have kids that are 18 now. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> they're four and a half white claws away from being a grandparent, you know? Yup. And it's like, holy cow. <laughs> like the fact that my peer group are getting to the age where they're about to start being grandparents. Yup. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Kind of scary, no? <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's scary how time continues to march on. Uh, but at the same time, it you know it's also a comfort because uh, one of the things that our old company Gunny used to tell us was you can't stop the clock, gents. No matter how bad the situation is, no matter how much you you don't like this, the the scenario, how uncomfortable you are, how tired you are, how much pain you are in, eventually this too shall pass. And so you know it is a comfort to know that you'll be able to march through your shaded valleys into the sunshine but then uh, in the same regard time is fleeting and you have to use the opportunities that you have and you can't squander time because it's precious sure and so here we are now where it seemed like just the other day that you know you and i were uh, young men who had fully functioning joints and (laughs) (laughs) clean shaven faces and now we're getting to the point where, you know, there's there's a whole new generation that's, you know, TikToking away, uh, wearing the uniform. And I don't know about you, but it kind of makes me a little bit more introspective. Like, I feel like sand is slipping through my fingers and I don't want the next generation to suffer the same slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that we did. So that's that's the other side of it, you know. I've I've got a um, an adopted brother who's who's uh, overseas now. Um, he enlisted shortly after um, his blood brother, who you know, my deployment brother, uh, died, um, and he was really upset when he got through basic training. He got through OSUT, uh, you know, got his cross rifles, got his blue cord, and then didn't have a war to fight. And he he ended up in in um, I think it was Kosovo. Um, and he was furious about it. Like, yeah. no, I, this isn't why I joined. I wanted to be like you guys. I wanted to do the shit you guys did. I wanted to get into gunfights. And I'm like, dude, if you joined that many years later and there were still that many bad guys to fight and there was still that much battle raging, wouldn't that kind of say we didn't do our job? Yeah, that's a fair point. Like, bro, if all that shit was going on, it means we sucked at our job. You know, the, yeah. we, we we did what we had to do so that you wouldn't, so that the next generation wouldn't. But, you know, to speak to the whole passage of time thing, you know, yeah, this too shall pass. I mean, that's only half of it, man. If if you're looking at the clock, I mean, yeah, 24 hours is going to pass whether you pay attention or not. 
But if every hour on the hour someone runs into the room and slaps you on the head, yeah. you know, when that fucking ding, when the, the grandfather clock starts dinging, you might put your guard up. Yep. And that's that's the point is is you have to learn as time passes. You can't just sit there and, well, time will pass and then it'll be over. Like, no, because if we don't learn, then, you know, the guys who join the the, the military after us are going to have to fight yep. the same fight. They are going to have to suffer the same slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. And that's something that we cover in AGL, too, yeah. is, is just how we failed to learn from Vietnam and how we allowed the same mistakes to happen in Afghanistan. Yeah, to bear arms against the sea of trouble or by opposing end them. Yeah. And it's uh, a direct correlation to some of the, the worst aspects that we have with service is that you are statistically far more likely to either end up homeless, to commit suicide, uh, to have a substance abuse uh, or dependency. Yep. and <laughs> To sleep, to sleep no more. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah... You look at this where you have the the men and women who go forth to you know put their uh, their their mortal body in between themselves uh, in between the people that they love in danger. Yeah. You know, like a little Starship Troopers reference there. You know, like if you're an infantryman, you haven't read Starship Troopers. Correct yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know, so there's there's no greater definition of love than to place your, your physical body in between someone you love or something you love in, in danger. And as a result of that, we have uh, guys and gals coming back with all these, you know, issues and proclivities to self-destructive behavior, and um, it, it just seems that um, with all the resources and benefits that are out there, people are still slipping through the cracks. And I feel that we are treating the uh, veteran epidemic with suicide and substance abuse and and things of that nature, um, as as well as other veteran issues, you know, as as far as like sexual assault and things of that nature, it feels like we're treating it the same way we did Iraq and Afghanistan, where we're just trying to throw money at it mm. without actually making a whole lot of meaningful change. Like if we have umpteen millions veteran programs out there, how are veterans still killing themselves? And granted, the 22 a day statistic is very outdated. Sure. It was true at one point in time. It hasn't been that high for a while, but it's still too high. Yeah. Um, I just don't like when people use misinformation quotes because it distracts from the reality of the situation. Sure. Because just like when you're calling for fire, you can only bracket if you acknowledge the impacts. <laughs> if you continue just to say that, oh, it's 22 every day, every day, every day, 22, you're not acknowledging the difference and you can't bracket, you know? Right. And so with all these programs out there, people are still taking their own lives. And so it's like, what lessons can we pass on to the next generation to help them avoid that because statistically speaking you know america enters into a new armed conflict at least once a decade we've been in armed conflict in one farm or another um for like 94 percent of the time that we've been a country and there is a dozens of like little 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 campaigns that the average person doesn't know about like the barbary campaigns the banana campaigns the boxer rebellion you know like um all these different little things where american service members have gone forth and you know given their life for america and her interests and so it's like, how do we learn the lesson to that we can't just throw money at the problems and hope that they'll go away? Like, what meaningful change can we make? And then you enter in the current community that we have with, like, Pop Smoke and Vet TV and Irreverent Warriors. These are programs that are actually saving people's lives. These are things that people feel a sense of community to, they feel connected to, 
that they're actually gaining meaningful connections from. Well, you used two key words there that, that answer the question. You said community and you said meaning. And I mean, what most of the studies done into veteran suicide have, have found is that people kill themselves post-separation because they've lost a sense of meaning or purpose in their life and they don't have the community that they once relied on as, as, a, as a day-to-day lifeline. And unless, unless you're, you know, like Pop Smoke or Vet TV or Reverend Warriors that are actually providing that community, providing that meaning, all the money in the world, all the resources in the world aren't going to do much. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because like the government, um, <laughs> they're, they're not exactly investing in, in the, the mill comedy space that much, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, you get some, uh, some program where, you know, yeah. And uh, we're, we're actually in the process of doing an expose on this where you have these civilian, um, programs that they're just on the teat of the government, just taking so much money and the services that they provide for veteran mental health are extremely subpar. Mm. And so it's just like, all right, like what, what politician do I, you know, do, do I have to, uh, to buy a scotch for to be like, Hey man, like, you know, what if, what if you took a little bit of that money, invested it into a Silky's hike, you know, yeah, make it a recruiting thing, make it sponsored by the air, the New Jersey air national guard or whatever, you know, like whatever the local thing is, you know, yeah. um, and, and make it that way. So that way you can, <laughs> you can have something that has like tangible results, you know, cause you look at, uh, the reviews on, uh, this podcast the reviews for the irreverent warriors hikes and some of these other programs where people are saying like, Hey, this really helped me through a dark patch versus you look at some of these other programs that are taking millions of dollars to GSA funds that have terrible reviews on like glass ceiling and indeed and stuff like that so it's like where's the disconnect you know yeah so um when is agl2 coming out um it's uh projected to come out early january of 2022 Ooh. yep it's going to be released uh weekly installments uh 10 episodes and then the plan right now is to cut it to a movie uh after that just like agl1 just like agl1 yeah it was there were a lot of amazing personalities on set um I was I was done. You know, we wrapped on a on a Saturday morning after after being out there overnight. Everyone was exhausted. Everyone was you know just beat to shit. And I think it was it was around seven thirty when we finally wrapped. I mean, people were sticking around until like eight thirty, eight forty five, just hugging and you know telling stories and reminiscing and and hugging some more and taking pictures. Like nobody wanted to leave. Yeah, nobody wanted to go home. Like nobody we wanted bu- to be over. Nobody wanted it to be over. No, nobody wanted to leave. It was it was such an incredible experience. There were so many amazing people, amazing personalities on set, both in front of and behind the camera. Yeah, fantastic. So, um, uh, can you can you plug uh, Vent TV's social media and then uh, f- uh, tell our listeners where they can find you as well? Yeah, absolutely. On Instagram, it's uh, it's pretty intuitive. It's uh, you know just just Vet underscore TV. Um, what I would love to direct everyone to, and I, I wish I had more information about it, was uh, Vet TV has started a, uh, a Discord, yeah. which I'm still in the process of learning about. You might know more about that than I do. Um, <laughs> I can but, assure you I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm not there yet. But they they have started a Discord um, sort of as, as t- t- to supplement uh, the old Facebook group because that got, you know, shut down. It's censored. It's, it's just wasn't the right platform for... Uh, the vet TV community. Yeah. Um, so with the with the Discord in place, um, which I still have to educate myself on, um, 
it's it's a much better community. It's uncensored. It's uh, it's, it's yeah, within reason, right? Sure, within reason. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, we're not gonna yeah, because I feel that sometimes um, uh, the 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 vet space humor is is awesome, right? Like I I've spent a lot of time in there. I've made thousands of original pieces of content, where the memes or podcasts or videos or articles, you know, yeah. And I feel that uh, if you love something, you have the authority to criticize it. You know, sure. you can come at it from a, um, an objective perspective, you know, and I think the only thing that kind of gets me sometimes about that is that some people are like, oh, yeah, I like dark humor. And then they're just like super racist, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's that's not dark humor. That's just you being an asshole. Yeah, that's you using humor as a vehicle to communicate something terrible. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that uh, with that, there are always uh, a handful of knuckleheads that try to push things too far. Yeah. And it's like, hey, we can, you know, we can be at like an eight at a barracks party, right? <laughs> but if we go to a nine, the duty's going to start coming by. If we go to a 10, the PMO is going to show up. Sure. You know, the cop, the, the MPs are going to show up, right? Yeah. And so, like, everybody kind of has that understanding that, like, hey, look, we, we can only, like, party half our nuts off, not all of our nuts off. Sure. You know? And then you have to be aware of your space. Yeah. You know, because if you're, if, if a, a, a level five out of 10 barracks party, you take that to a, to an Applebee's or a Chili's. Yeah. Oh, my God, the cops are getting called. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, like, everybody kind of has that understanding, like, you know, we, we, we kind of have to keep it here, you know, mm-hmm. like if, if doc has to get woken up to give somebody stitches, he's going to be pissed like silver <laughs> bullets for everyone and PT the next morning, you know? Uh, but then there's a few knuckleheads that, you know, they, they can't, um, you know, control themselves and then they take it beyond what is reasonable yeah. and it ruins the fun for everyone. Sure. You know, so, uh, I, I, w- I would just caution anybody that wherever you go, you never want to be like the worst person there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you don't ever want to be the the person who's fallen out the most on a run or a right. hike. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you never want to be that person. No. And it's the same thing with uh, with with uh, online communities. You sure. never want to be the person that you know uh, gets everybody a stern talking to yeah. at the end. Don't cause the safety brief. Yeah, or don't cause a page to get banned. You know, yeah. <laughs> like don't don't be that person. <laughs> uh, so where can we find you on on social media? Sure, on Instagram it is J underscore Goldie. 502 J Goldie 50 deuce I'm on there as Jamie Goldie Goldstein uh too easy to find pretty direct J Goldie 502 way yeah 502 yeah baby girl <laughs> <laughs> all right so are there any parting thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with oh my god look the veteran community is a small place but it is also incredibly vast and if you had a shit experience in the military or if you had an amazing experience in the military, um, there's still a place for you in the veteran community. Um, there are tons of resources out there, the best of which are other veterans. You know, I've, I've said this on uh, you know, pre-hike briefs at, at, at Silky's Hike that, you know, in spite of all the resources that we have out there, nine times out of ten, the only thing that can talk a gun out of a veteran's hand, the only thing that can, you know, get, to get a veteran to put the pills back, back in the pillbox or, or, or you know, to, uh, to untie the noose is another veteran. Reach out there and connect. Man, Pop Smoke, the Smoke Pit has an amazing community. Veteran TV has an amazing community. Irreverent Warriors has an amazing community. And it's too easy to be a part of it. All you have to do is show up. Yeah, That's all you have to do is reach out and show up. Get out there. Fucking reach out. 
reach out to me, talk to me, talk to Dan. Meet, we want to talk to you. Yeah, I would say anytime anybody asks me about the uh, the irreverent warrior hikes, I'd just say that my only advice is where the smallest silkies allowable by your state law. <laughs> you know, my, my rule of thumb is if it fits, go down two sizes. Right. You know? Right. You, know, you, you don't want to <laughs> you, you don't want to get arrested for indecent exposure because something pops out. Sure. But like like I said, you know, the boundaries. Yeah, that's yeah. And if you do cut the liners out of your silkies, be mindful of that. Don't don't like commit to a bit and end up on the floor wrestling with somebody at a pizza place in Wilmington <laughs> like I did. As he looks off into the distance, this time his cheeks cover for a different reason. Yeah. That reason is shame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I've stopped cutting the liners out since then. Yeah, that, that was one of those <laughs> things where I remember Silky's got banned from the base pool in 29 Palms because of that. Really? Yeah, too many uh, uh, too many uh, dependents were complaining. About, about balls popping out. Yeah. Wow. Because, I mean, they're there with their kids and stuff, you know, and... Yeah, these Marines getting out of the pool with these like, like su- vacuum suction tight silkies, <laughs> you know, because I like, you know, like it's very unflattering when you first get out. Sure. Because it's like cold in the water, you know, uh-huh. and all that. But yeah. I digress. So we had a we had a real treat because usually um, we don't always get very silky smooth voices as guests on the podcast. Ooh. But uh, Jamie has a fantastic voice. And so this is a bit of a callback to earlier in the episode. And this is uh, where we'll uh, we'll leave you with. So I'm going to have him read a uh, paragraph that uh, is from a citation about uh, World War One, And this is in reference to the way that soldiers and Marines and people who are in combat uh, speak and the differences between that environment and your day-to-day life. So it's a real short paragraph, and then we'll let you guys get out of here. So enjoy. Fuck was outlawed in print in England by the Obscene Publications Act of 1857 and the U.S. by the Comstock Act of 1873. The word continued in common speech, however. During World War I, it became so common that an effective way for the soldiers to express this emotion was to omit this word. Thus, if a sergeant said, Get your fucking rifles! It was understood as a matter of routine. But if he said, Get your rifles! There was an immediate implication of urgency and danger. Boom. Boom, shalaklak, boom. All right. Guys and gals, we'll see you next time here in the Smoke Pit. Bye. Bye.